that, that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Today on StarTalk Special Edition. I got my co-host, Chuck and Gary, asking me their most burning questions. And you will learn why Chuck can lose a gasket over thinking about time. And you'll also find out what Gary's deepest question is about this universe. And I have an answer for it coming up. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Uh, I got my co host, Chuck Nice, Gary O'Reilly. How you guys doing? Hey, Neil, what's happening? Good. All right, okay. th this is a Star Talk special edition. It's just Chuck and Gary burning questions. Whoa. Well, this was just for you. It's a gift. Back to you for being such good co-hosts throughout the year because I know you have burning questions. I think you do. Not to be not not to not to be confused with the kind of burning questions that I ask my doctor. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you got no. ointment for that. Yeah, Don't exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got some ointment to put on your burning questions. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, guys, what, what do you have for me? Ah, Chuck, you want to kick should off? Should I? Okay, let's see. Oh, you know what? I'll start off with something a little personal, all right? Um, I always wanted to know, um, after a show a long time ago, you may or may not remember, your colleague from Princeton University, who I believe at the time was the head of the Department of Astrophysics. Okay. A friend of yours, not just a colleague. Because I, I postdoctored at Princeton. I, I, yes. And spent another many years there. So I have very good friends and colleagues there, yes. Yes. So mm -hmm. afterwards, we were sitting around, and you guys got into this discussion about the true size of the universe. And I tried to follow it. But then you went down a geek hole 
that was so deep <laughs> Kiko. that I was just like, what the hell? And I was fascinated by just why, and I didn't want, of course, I was like just sitting there trying to soak up as much of it as I could. But right, because that wasn't that never posted. That was just no. That was that just was the all, two of you. Yeah, oh, and going I was, at it. Okay. And I was like, I and I did. I I didn't have my phone on set with me because I okay. wanted to pull out my phone and just secretly record and be like, "This is how they really talk when they are alone. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is what they really talk about." But anyway, you guys were disagreeing ever so slightly. It's not like you mm -hmm. weren't saying the universe is this size and he was saying, no, it's this size. You guys were disagreeing very slightly on the size and how you get to the size. Okay. And you started talking about, the only thing I understood was redshifting. But after that, there was some stuff, man, that you okay. guys were getting into. So I just want to visit that. Like You the, want a piece of that? I want, want a, piece a piece of that, of that. back. Okay. All right. So a couple of things. All right. All right. If you ask any of us what's the age of the universe, we'll come back at you with 13.8 billion, billion years. years it's up slightly okay. from a couple of decades ago right? Uh, with better measurements. If you'd asked me 20 years ago, I would have said 13.7 billion years. It's up slightly, but we have better data. All right. When I was in graduate school, we did not know the age of the universe and nor the size of the universe, to within a factor of two. Okay? The universe was either 10 billion years old or 20 billion years old. Two different camps, depending on how they valued the data that was being put forth. It turns out the correct answer was in between those two numbers, as you might expect. Okay. As we narrow down the uncertainty of the measurements, it turns out there are two different measurements of the age of the universe. One of them comes from supernovae that are exploding at... We, what's good about supernovae is when they explode, they're brighter than the galaxy they're contained in. That's how much energy they're putting out. So you can see supernovae basically to the edge of the universe. All right? So they form a good sort of what we call standard candle. All right? Supernovas have commonality among them. You see where one explodes. How bright does it get? How quickly does it drop off in brightness? You calibrate that. You can get a distance to that supernova. Okay, and by virtue of the expansion rate of the universe, you get an age of the universe. There's another method you get by observing the cosmic microwave background. It does not use supernovae. Each of those are highly precise methods, yet they do not agree right. with each other on the size or the age of the universe by a little bit. And you can say, oh, it's just a little bit. No, the, the uncertainties in each of these measurements precludes the other answer from being correct. Okay. Damn. Because we've narrowed the uncertainty. So, so the point, it sounds, you can have two numbers. Is it 13.75, 13.83? Well, who cares between friends? But if those two measurements yeah. are tight, then that's a problem. It's a scientific problem, and it's called tension. It, it's called tension in the cosmological mind. You can Google tension, cosmological tension. And it's unresolved at this point. Last I checked, we don't, we can't resolve the difference between these two methods. So either we don't understand supernovae, or we don't understand the cosmic background, but we think we do, and therefore we're getting the wrong precision in the answer, or something else is going on that might involve both of them. 
Or maybe to think about the age of the universe is a question that doesn't have meaning unto itself. Mm. It's like saying, what kind of cheese is the moon made out of? Right. You could try to answer that question. No, we know it's Swiss. See, we already, <laughs> it's, we already know it's that. We it's already know holes. it's Swiss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, that's been solved. That's scientifically that was, solved. That's a that stupid question. Sorry. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, But if the universe is constantly expanding, Neil, yes. doesn't that make measurement irrelevant? Uh, so the measurement would be in this moment, right, in, the, in the current epoch. Mm, yeah. Yes. So yeah. now, beyond that, because I'm trying to remember what that conversation that you were eavesdropping on was. That could have been part of it. But also, but also, we can say, well, how big is the universe? You might hear some people say, well, it's 13.8 billion light years to the edge. Okay? I've said that. That's a very common thing you'll hear people say. More precisely, and this is where we get into the weeds, that is how long it has taken the light to reach us emitted by objects on our horizon. Okay? But over that time, the universe has expanded. So you can ask a different question and say, how far away is that object today? You can't see it today because this light hasn't reached us today. It only just released this light today. Okay? How far away is it today? You go back to your equations, your models, and that object is like 46 billion light years away in that direction. And then that horizon goes in the other direction too. So the total size of the observable universe today is nearly 100 billion light years years across. across. Right, today. But we don't see that. And so I'm raised in the... You only talk about what you can see, Camp. And so we see the galaxies on our horizon, and we say they're 14.8 billion light years away. Their light was emitted from the galaxy when it was 14.8 billion, uh, 13.8 billion um, light years away. So that's what we were hashing out when the cameras weren't rolling that you rudely eavesdropped on. Yeah, well, I'm glad I did, and I'll do it again. So while we're we're discussing the size of the universe, Neil, will the universe continually expand? Or will it get to a point and go, add enough? Okay, yeah. So wait, let me finish something up with Chuck. You can say, well, I gave you the size of the observable universe, but how about the actual universe? Mm. We don't know. Right. I don't know how far beyond our horizon the actual universe goes. Any more than if I plunk you down the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria in the middle of the Atlantic, just plunked you down there, you would not know how far the ocean goes beyond your horizon. You would have to, like, sail it and continue to yeah. sail it uh, until one day you run out of ocean. So, yeah, but that horizon, although it appears to be moving, is actually not, whereas the universe's horizon is actually moving. Oh, so so our horizon, yes, it is moving outward. Right. At the speed of light. Mm. Okay? That has nothing to do with the expansion speed. It's the speed of light with which our horizon is growing. So in a billion years, our horizon will not be 13.8. Let's round it to 14. Our horizon will be 
15 billion billion light years away. Right. Okay? The light horizon. And in another billion, it'd be 16 billion. And every next billion years, it is, our horizon is washing over whole other parts of the universe that previously never reached us, whose light had previously never reached us. Right. So here's the freaky part. You get to 15 billion years, what do you see? You're seeing the Big Bang for those galaxies because their Big Bang light is only only now just reaching us. So the Big Bang signature is a continual signature that's expanding at the speed of light. Because every next gener- every next layer of galaxies, you're watching them being born, and then the next one being born, and then the next one, and then the next one. And that's because the speed of light is not infinite. If the speed of light were infinite, you'd have no knowledge of the past. And you know who one of the first people to try to measure the speed of light? Take a guess. Um, I'm going to say... Well, maybe people tried earlier, but, but it's Galileo. I, 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 oh, well, Galileo. He put two people on mountaintops with lanterns, okay? Oh. And, say, and, and when one flashed, the other would open the, the shutter on one and close on the other. And I love his, the results of his experiment. Um, uh, I bet you the results were, George is too slow. <laughs> I don't know George. what the hell is wrong with George. I give him the cue, yet somehow he is missing this damn cue. <laughs> No, wait, this is Italy. So what's George in Italy? Oh, uh, uh, oh, uh, Giovanni. Giovanni. Giovanni is too slow. Too damn yes, slow. Giovanni's Johnny. Yeah, Giovanni is Johnny, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's why George isn't ma- that's why George is getting yeah, it wrong. He's he keeps it, calling it, him Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> that's a dude on the other mountain. Exactly. Right, okay. So <laughs> so I, I gotta remember, uh it, he said something like, um, if it's not infinitely fast, if it's not infinite, it is remarkably fast. Wow. Because he could not measure the speed. Couldn't measure the speed. But he was, he was mm. he's a scientist, so he, he doesn't have a number. It's just faster than he could measure. So he allowed it to be, like, infinite, but, or really fast, faster than Giovanni could open the shutters of his lantern on the opposite mountain. So uh, the point is, if the if light were infinitely fast, we'd see the entire universe all, all at the once, time. Right. all the time, and all, all at all once. once. Mm. So the Big Bang is not some moment in time that happens to be captured by these galaxies and the cosmic microwave background in this moment. That will always be there, and it's not because it's the same thing that's there. There's other galaxies being born right. that are get, now giving you their information. And at 15 billion years, the, the cosmic microwave background that we now see, all of that became galaxies, stars and galaxies. So it's a fascinating a time machine that the expanding universe, the extent of the universe, and the speed of light hands us, which is why we have cosmology at all. Damn. Mm. Now, to, to, so Gary, the expansion of the universe, all data points to that's a one-way trip. When I was in graduate school, we were always considering might we one day recollapse. If you want to recollapse, you need mm. enough mass and gravity to sort of pull it back again. The, gra- the universe is expanding at the escape velocity of the universe itself. So it will not come back ever. So get over it. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was just a thought, you know, hey, it's our burning questions and uh, needed to put this fire out. 
that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Yeah, Gary, you had you had a burning another burning question. Oh God, one of many. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sure, Chuck's the same. Give me um, one. All right, let's let's focus. I'll see if I have ointment for your burning question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that is so kind <laughs> and yes, considerate yes, of but you, sir. Um, right. You're gonna apply the oat the ointment in your own damn self. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay I get it. Uh, we're just friends. <laughs> That's the difference between being a doctor of astrophysics and a medical doctor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the doctor of astrophysics is like, here's the ointment. Now go on about your damn business. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if I if I think about us as a species and our intentions to go into deep space. Okay, that's most likely going to happen at some point in the future. I'm not going to put a number next to it, but at some point in the future. But how are we going to communicate in deep space? I mean, how how do we get through to the point where we got reliable, real-time communication between ourselves? I mean, is it even possible, viable? It's not Star Trek where they no. have if we had if we had my what's it called subspace. Subspace communication. Mm. Yeah, there's something called subspace where they can communicate basically instantly. And we yeah. have no way to do that. So what I would say is, because, so for example, uh, by the way, this shows up with our rovers on Mars. Those rovers have to be at least semi-autonomous because 
we can't say, look out for the cliff. And then 20 minutes later, the signal gets there, depending on where Earth and Mars are relative to each other in our orbits. That's how long it can yeah. take the signal to get there. And then it drives off the cliff and you lost your rover. The rover has to know what to not do without you giving an instruction to tell it to not do it. So, um, and by the way, if it did go off the cliff, you wouldn't know it for another 20 minutes because then that's when the signal comes back to you. So it's a 40-minute round trip. When the astronauts were on the moon, the moon has a, like a two to three second round trip delay. So the phone call between the most, billed as the most expensive phone call ever conducted between the president of the United States and the Apollo 11 crew on the moon, that had delays. So I'd, you know, so you, you can't have witty repartee, right? Uh, when you're talking to people in deep space, not even on the moon. You can't say, oh, hey, Chuck, how you doing? And then I got to wait one and a half seconds for it to get to you. And then one, the answer, okay. <laughs> and then I get that oh, oh, three seconds later. Okay, he's okay. Okay, so that's, this doesn't work. And by the way, so bad that is, here's something people forgot about. So bad that is that the delay to our communication satellites is too long to be acceptable in a phone call, okay? Before we had GPS and before we had cell phone towers, there were communication satellites, we still have them, but they're not used for talking to each other, that you park it between Europe and the United States because they're geosynchronous, geostationary. So they're high, so high up, their orbit exactly matches the rotation rate of the Earth, all right? 23 hours, 56 minutes turning. All right, that's the rotation rate of the Earth once and four seconds. All right, so it does that. So now you beam something from the United States up to that satellite, which is 23,000 miles up. Then it goes back down to Europe, which it can do because it sees both continents because it's sitting right between us over the Atlantic Ocean. And then it beams back up and back. So that full round trip, it's 23,000 miles up, 23,000 miles down, 23,000 miles back up, 23,000 miles back down. That's basically 100,000 miles. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. So that full round trip is basically a half a second. Now, when you have a conversation where everything you say is delayed a half a second before the person replies, you can't, for example, interrupt them. It's, it's like the old days when people spoke on CBs. You just give information, you say, over and out, and wait for them to get it, and then they'd speak back. Okay, that's called simplex communication, where it can only take signals in one direction at a time. Then you can have duplex or multiplex. But point is, even that was too slow, which led to, so Elon Musk has satellites that are in lower Earth orbit, lower Earth orbit, so that the time travel up and back is just fine for you to talk on a cell phone. And so, so these are issues. So that's a long conversation to say, um, Gary, that these delays are important and they're a problem. You would hope that if you're far enough away, you don't need to talk to Houston. You got all the solutions you need, okay? Or you don't have to speak to them with ready, witty repartee. It'd be really hard for stand-up comedy. comedy. You wouldn't know people were laughing. Ah. <laughs> Still used to it. You know no. what I mean? 
Is this mic on? I know you're out. I know you're out there. I can hear you breathing. <laughs> but is is there another means of so so if if we don't travel through space until we invent wormholes with this mythical substance that has negative gravitational energy but negative gravitational force to pry open mm. the fabric of space and time if we move through space through wormholes then so could communication mm. so if you go if you're on your way to alpha centauri on our fastest spaceships today, it would take you 70,000 years. And you could be in a generational spaceship and make babies that they grow up and then they make babies and they grow up and you all die. And then, you know, uh, 30, mm. 30, no, uh, what would it be? 2,000 generations from now, then that civilization on the ship arrives. Okay. Um, that's a long time in the future. And all I'm yeah. saying is between now and then we might invent wormholes. At which point we just step past you and wave and say, we'll see you in 35,000 years as we get to Alpha Centauri system. So if we have wormholes, communication goes through it and the communication is instant. Yes. Hmm. All right, Chuck, burning question. What else you got? Okay. So this is a very, I'm, I'm just going to read the, the question, but then you got to break down everything that's a part of it in order for everybody to know what I'm talking about. Well, this is your day and Gary's day, so I will, I'm at your service. Okay, yes. cool. Okay. All right. How can a single electron passing through biprisms or slits interfere with itself? Nobody knows. Oh, man, come on. Yeah, no, this is, these are the, these are the mysteries of quantum physics. That's... Like I said, and Gary, finish my sentence. The universe is under no, no, no obligation. obligation to make sense to you. All right. So in that case, then wait, wait, wait. No, the, the point so, is, so, so particles can behave as waves. And right. Behave I, as waves. I, okay. So I get mm. the duality of light and that it's a wave and a particle. Okay. Yes. But so first of all, maybe we should tell people what the double slit experiment is. Okay. And so here's the thing: you're looking at electrons coming through, through. You have this barrier, right? And you put two slits adjacent to one another. You know, six inches, it doesn't matter. To separate them, you're two slits. Then you have a screen on the other side. And you fire electrons into this. And you know, you know where the electrons are. You fire them in, and you'll get two points of intensity on the back screen. One in front of one slit, one in front of the other slit. And there's to be some fade off to the left and right of that. Because some will get bent a little. Okay. That's what happens if they are electrons. Now, you don't look at it, and you do the same experiment. On the back wall, you don't see two, two uh, peaks. You see what we, what's called an interference pattern of the variation of light and dark peaks that completely spreads across the projection surface. Because when you didn't look at it, the electron behaved as a wave. And when you did look at it, it behaved as electrons. And so when a wave, waves can interfere. So a wave is just what you think it is. It's ups and downs. If you have two waves mm. that are intersecting with each other, there'll be points where the crests match up, you get an extra high peak. Points where the troughs match up, get an extra low peak. And these just continue. And you get all combinations of the two. And what that looks like, and what we call it in physics, is an interference pattern. 
and that's evidence that it, for that variant of the experiment, the electrons were behaving as waves. Now, what does what is looking at it have to do with it? Because if you're looking at it, you got to shine light on it. Right. If you shine light on it, because otherwise it's just a, it's an experiment in the dark. You have no idea what's happening at all. The moment you shine light on it, the light interferes with the electrons being waves, and they become particles at that point. And so people, it's called the observer effect, and the new age circles want to believe that it's your consciousness that's affecting it. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Right. Who was it first discovered this with waves back in the day, way back? Uh, well, we knew, we knew about the wave interference, okay? Mm. Because you were always yeah. shining light on your electrons. But electrons had to be discovered, all right? The electrons yeah. were not known in antiquity. They had to be discovered. And then you got to know how to manipulate them. And then you do these experiments. This is all, we are in the centennial decade of the birth of quantum physics. The 1920s was a seminal set of years wow. where quantum physics was discovered. Hubble discovered that we're not the only galaxy in the universe. And he discovered that the universe was expanding. So a lot went on in that decade. Yeah. Easy. So Chuck, we, uh, we don't know. It just is. It just is. It is a correct description of nature. And an important philosophical point, just because we don't know how something works, right. why something works, doesn't mean we can't describe how it works. Okay? You can know things and predict things, even if you don't fully understand what's happening. And that's where we are with quantum physics. We don't, it defies our common sense, but so does practically everything else about quantum physics. We, are, we don't live in the quantum. Right. There's a book called, oh, what's the guy's name? Oh, George Gamow, physicist, wrote a book called Mr. Tompkins in Wonderland. And it's a series. And one of the stories is the physical constants are different in his world. So as he's driving down the street, he starts seeing relativistic things happen. And all Einstein's relativity shows up in his rear view mirror, in his front view mirror. Very clever um, a to, uh, uh, educational tooling there. So one of them, it's quantum physics. So Planck's constant, which measures the things mm. in the quantum, is some much larger value, which means when you walk through a, a, a doorway, you end up diffracting <laughs> just the way particles would. I mean, there's, it's freaky stuff. It's called Mr. Tompkins in Wonderland. It's a whole series. Very clever. And he illustrated, uh, it has fun little cartoons in it too. I learned everything I know about the quantum from Ant-Man Quantum Mania. Oh! <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, the which, Marvel Universe. Yeah, which is why I know nothing about. about the quantum because it was... <laughs> All right. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. 
Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. All right. Okay. Here's one, Neil. Um, so... This is something that we have talked about in the past several times. And the fact that it is real is just very difficult to wrap my head around. Okay. 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 And that is, we have kinematic time dilation. We have gravitational time dilation. And these are not perceptions. Because you told me about the atomic clock experiment. And so the atomic clocks are the most precise chronological measurement of time, and we end up with different readings in these experiments. I'm, is time real? Is it a, <laughs> is it a thing? Is it, is it even a thing? Is it a thing? Is it even a thing <laughs> is it a for thing? real? I mean, come Chuck, on. Because Chuck is blowing a gasket. I'm serious. Just blew a gasket. Okay. Are humans are humans the only species that kind of measure time? No, no, no. Quantify it. So, for example, you've heard of Half Life, right? Of course. Yes. Half Life. Okay. At Half Life, Limitless, make sure we're on the same page. There are certain elements that are radioactive, which means they decay into different elements. You start with a with a blob of one element, and if it has a half life of a week, let's say, Mm -hmm. that means in a week. On average, half of those atoms will have turned into a different kind of atom. Right. They would have decayed. And then in another week, half of what remains turns into it. Okay? It's half of a half of a half, half of, of a half, half of a half of a half. And it drops mm-hmm. rapidly. It's two to the N power, right? So it drops rapidly. Okay. So if you have 10 half-lives, then you have one one-thousandth of what was there before left over. Because 10 is two, it's one half times one half times one half times one half times one half. And you get 1,024, I think. Right. Okay. So it's basically 1,000th of what was there. All right. You can take an element that has a half-life and accelerate it to near the speed of light. And its decay will be delayed by the exact amount that you calculated in Einstein's relativity. And it's not carrying a Timex with it. Right. Okay? Or a Rolex. It's an, whatever internal clock tells atoms to decay, that is, adjust, that is affected by relativity. So time is real. Relativity is real. Now, one way to think of it, where, which Jan 11 has tried mightily to get us to understand Right. If you have uh, two axes, okay, and one mm-hmm. axis is distance, and the other is time, okay, mm-hmm. oh, not distance, it's just space. 
One is space, the other is time. And they're like right angles to each other, all right? So it's two axes. Now, if you're sitting there going nowhere, you are not moving on the space axis, but you are moving in the time axis, aren't you? Yes. Time is going mm -hmm. forward for you. Right. Because your lazy ass is on the couch and you're not actually moving anywhere. Okay? Okay. So if you start moving, then the line on this graph that applies to you is not the one that's going straight up the time axis. Because now you are moving from your previous location and now you're in a new location and you're continuing to move. So now as time progresses, you advance a little bit in the space direction. So you have a line that's at an angle right now from right. the vertical. Can we picture this in our heads? Of course, yeah. Okay. You got it. Okay, okay. Great, great. So mm -hmm. now, so now, uh, I, I, so you, Chuck, you, you've been slow lately. Gary's a former ex-pro pro footballer. He's going to run while he watch you walk, eat, and potato chips, okay? He will run. You are both moving forward in time, yes, but he's moving farther in distance than you in the same amount of time. So his line will be at an even greater angle than yours will. Okay? We got this? So far. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody's got to measure the speed of light to be the same. This is one of the great insights that Albert Einstein had in his relativity. Okay? In order for both of you to measure the speed of light to be the same thing, your time coordinates have to change. Have to change. His Correct. would have to slow down in order, if, if speed of light is a constant, his right. time, which is that, because the speed of light's got to remain the same. Correct. So Correct. that means yeah. his time would literally have to slow down in order for him to observe me eating the, the same time that you, at, at the same time. Jesus Christ. See, this is what I'm talking right. about. What? 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 We're both <laughs> seeing the time. The time <laughs> slows for him, but it's the same for me because the speed of light is a guy. Time is bullshit, man. <laughs> it literally slows down for him. Literally. Yes. It is not like it's a perception. The time no, itself Everything slows is. Every, his, his metabolism, his thoughts, his any radioactive material he's carrying in his pocket, his clock, mm -hmm. everything. The vibrations of the atoms, everything. And referentially, for me, everything is exactly the same for me. My time is staying the same for me, okay? But for him to observe me, his time actually has to slow down in order for that observation to take Wait, No, no, no. So let me, to be more clear, you're watching him, and from where you are, you both want to measure the speed of light to be the same. Exactly. But the only way that can happen is if you see him, him. move slower. Right. He's got to move slower because his time, correct. and it's not like, it's not like I'm perceiving him to move slower. His time literally has to slow so that he can be, make the same measurement. Make the same Correct. measurement that I... Correct. Uh, okay. 
Okay, yeah. now, now, okay. It, now, if you go at the speed of light, time stops. So that would be what's, so that's, so that would be a line moving along the distance axis, but yeah. not advancing along um, the, the time, time axis. The time. It would just be flat line there. And so therefore, a beam of light can get between any two places with zero elapsed time. So a, a, a light, a, a photon particle of light emitted mm -hmm. in the center of the galaxy, which was the object of my affection for my PhD thesis, the galactic center, those photons, I will see them travel for 30,000 years, but if you're that photon, you don't, you you don't, don't even know any time at all. No time. That's right. There's no time You are detected passed. in the same instant you are emitted. Right. Correct. Okay. So you got to get talk truck off the ledge well, there. It's crazy. <laughs> this is, I mean, and seriously, it's, it's it's so funny because it's it's all it's okay. Forget it. It's, 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 it is mind blowing that you know that these are for the measurements themselves. These are true measurements. You would think that these would be perceptions because you're talking about it being relative to an observer, but they're not right, right. perceptions. They're yeah, in fact, actual, observer is is an unfortunate. Word that we it's, still use. Yeah, today. we still use the we word refer to observer mm. and a phenomenon. Right, and people then think it's something it's something to do with you through being human. Exactly. No. Right, and right. it really right. isn't. These are actual measurements, and the correct. measurements themselves are true and correct as correct. they relate to the time and yep. the constant being the speed of light. That's insane, right. man. That, yeah, it's I'm, crazy. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And and another example we've given it before, but now you, we have our own private burning question session here. That um, th this phenomenon occurs in the strength of a gravitational field as well. Right. So the stronger is the gravitational field, the slower so your the time, time moves. moves. So GPS satellites fly in Mio, right? We have Leo, Mio, and and Geo, right? right? So Mio, Middle mm -hmm. Earth orbit, right? And so those are like right. twelve thousand miles up, and so that's high. Okay, that's yeah. farther away than the diameter of the Earth is up above the Earth. So they're far enough away from Earth's center that the difference in timekeeping for them is different than it is for us. Right. Okay, so their, their clocks, since they're farther away from them, are moving faster relative to us. Right. So when they keep track of time and send us the time, we have to correct, correct. it. Because all we care about the time in our reference frame, which is Earth's surface. Mm. Okay. So who calibrates this? What calculation we, are they? We got they, people. Because we're constant. We got people. We, we got okay. people. That's why there's a National no, Bureau of Standards. I mean, they're, they're people who think, wait, you got to be glad they're there and they're the unsung heroes. You don't even know they're there. Mm. And they're figuring this out yeah. for you. So, and, and let me tell you how, you how deep it goes. They okay? all use the Timex. <laughs> so what? How deep it goes. So um, we're on Earth's surface, and we think of it as just one surface. Right. But there's something called the geode. And the geode right. is the grid that the GPS satellite is actually talking to. Now, in that grid, is the geode you're using for Earth a perfect sphere? Okay, that's a model of Earth's surface, but that's not Earth's surface. The equator mm. is farther away from Earth's center 
than people not on the equator, which affects which right. time frame you are in relative to the GPS satellites. So, if you want to be really, 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 really precise, you have to know where you are on the geode relative between the perfectly spherically modeled Earth and the Earth that has that's slightly wider at the equator than at the poles. And by the way, we're not only an oblate spheroid, slightly wider at the equators than at the poles, we are slightly mm -hmm. wider below the equator than at the equator. So we're a pear-shaped oblate spheroid. And that's harder to model uh, mathematically. So tip, and usually you don't care about that level of precision. So, so typically they just use a spherical approximation for Earth's surface and let the dust fall where it may. Mm -hmm. mm. But you might you might arrive at a place and if you I mean are we talking are we talking nanoseconds here or No, we're talking yeah. about you one doorway away from where you were had intended to be, that sort of thing. But you're usually tracking down an address. And so once you see the address, you're not still using GPS to decide that. You know who needs these coordinates? The military. Because if they're sending a missile right. via GPS guidance, mm, yeah, that doorway. You don't want that doorway you can don't make want a difference. To, yes. The doorway to the left or the right makes a difference. Right. So, yeah, yeah they have to know what the exact shape of the Earth is yeah. at the point where they're um, interacting. And, of course, GPS was invented by the military, right. by the U.S. Air Force, now under the control of the U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chuck, let's try. Because they don't, they don't want to get the wrong mailbox. <laughs> He's a brilliant. We'll excuse him on this one, Chuck. The GPS was designed and built by the military, and it, mm -hmm. it's, it is it is controlled by it was controlled by the U.S. Air Force until it is now under the control of ah. the U.S. Space Force. Oh, I. You know Man. why? I have never accepted what? Space Force. Oh, <laughs> that's why I was wondering. I was like, "Why am I not getting this?" Because and I, Chuck, I cannot begin to tell you how irrelevant that fact is. I know to the world. I know, and I need to. I that, need that to, you don't accept it, and I need to get over it because guess what? And you and and I just felt. First of all, I thought it was a dumbass name, and <laughs> what? What? It's space, and it's a war. Wait, wait, dude, dude. Come because down. listen, we are. No, dude, we already up. have the Air Force, and then you no, just gonna oh, okay, hold on, hold and on. now we're gonna make it Space Force. Okay, like, hold on, hold on. Okay, so we still have the Air Force. Yes, they were. Mm -hmm. They worry about the air. Okay, <laughs> Space Force worries about stuff that is not moving through the air. Okay, right. Those are called satellites and other rockets. All right. Mm -hmm. Did you complain in 1947? When the Air Force split from the U.S. Army? Wait, well, no, I didn't. No, because you weren't born. But yeah. had you been around, would you be? Would you be imitating who was president in 1947? Uh, who was it? Uh, uh, Truman. Would, would you be imitating Truman and say, and saying, "Well, why have an air, a, a, an Air Force when we have the Army who can fully take care of the Air Force?" Air Force the sounds Army cool. has soldiers on the ground. Because Air tanks. Force sounds cool. It sounds cool. <laughs> Truman had it right. It sounds okay. cool. So you know, where Space just, Force sounds like something that um, science um, fictiony. That Seth, no, that Seth um, McFarlane came up with. That's what Space <laughs> Force sounds like. 
Sounds like <laughs> Seth. They were like, Seth, we need a, we need a name. We need a name for an organization that's going to uh, put us out in space and take care of all of our space-related... Hmm, how about Space Force? Let's go with Space Force. Like, no, no. no uh, but anyway. So the entire space branch of the Air Force basically pulled away to become the Space Force. Where right. command and control is different, all the... the uh, there's so much that... It, it's, it's maybe not entirely as different from the Air Force as the Air Force was from the Army. Right. But it's different enough to justify its own branch. And now they have a seat at the table in the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Gary, we got time for only one more burning question. But it has to be... It can't just be any question. It has to be burning. Okay. It's, it's, our, own burn, it's our own burning man. Right. <laughs> All right, here we go. What is the one scientific breakthrough for you that has shaped the world the most? And maybe, what is the next one for you? That has shaped the current world? Yeah. The fact that matter is made of atoms and atoms are made of particles. particles. Really? The, I don't think anything has shaped the world more than that knowledge and awareness. That's a, that's a really cool mm. answer. Because that's what gives us electricity. Yep. It gives yeah. us the uh, nuclear power. All of our communications. It, it gives us our understanding of molecules, yep. how and why they work. It gives us our understanding of the periodic table of elements. Why is it periodic? Mm -hmm. Okay. All of that comes from that fundamental realization. Because think of it, before then, it's like, oh, I'm a woodcutter. I just care that my wood atoms, you say it's atoms? Okay, I got wood atoms. Fine. I don't care. I'm just going to cut. Okay. Oh, but wait a minute. When you burn wood, what happens? Oh. Oh, there are molecules, molecules. there that have energy that break apart. Okay. So, th there it is. Yeah, that's a that's Ooh. a really cool answer. I would have never thought of it that way, but yeah, yeah, that that discovery changes everything. And and if I can tell you one other thing, there's a, some professors yeah. at MIT who created a course called Energy, and big fat textbook, everything you ever wanted to know about energy, machines, the conversion of energy from one thing to another. This goes on and on and on. How and I can they get more if, of it in the afternoon? Because I gotta, I feel so bad around 2 o'clock. You know, I don't know if they get the caffeine Oh, they don't get to that? Okay. okay. Wait, so let me get yeah. the book. Hold on a sec. Here's the book. The Physics of Energy. Okay? All right. Robert Jaffe and Washington Taylor. Okay? Two professors. And look how fat the book is. And okay. so I want to read to you my... Um, I, I wrote a blurb for it. Okay? Here's a my blurb. blurb. Is that a technical term? Yeah, it's a total technical term. Here it is. You ready? All right. And I pride myself on always having the shortest blurb. Uh, but this one is about the same length as the others. Okay, so here it goes. Ready? Mm -hmm. If your task was to jumpstart civilization but had access to only one book, then the physics of energy would be your choice. Professors Taylor and Jaffe have written a comprehensive, thorough, and relevant treatise. It's an energizing read as a standalone book, but it should also be a course offered at every college 
lest we mismanage our collective role as shepherds of our energy-hungry, energy-dependent civilization. Wow. Wow. And then they inscribed it to me, a little inscription there. Oh, I'll read that, that to you. Uh, right. Dear Neil, here's hoping we don't have to jumpstart civilization anytime soon. Yeah, oh, that's about very that. funny. <laughs> so I would say a, a close second to knowledge that there are particles is the fact that we have learned to understand, measure, harness, and transform energy from one form to another. That, in fact, is the backbone of modern civilization. Very cool. All right. Good answers, man. My, my question got a great yeah. answer. Oh, oh no. Or was it just a great question? Mm. And I gave an average answer. <laughs> take credit, Gary. No, take, take it away. You can right. get it. Well, you can get it. I'm taking and running. I'm running. All right. Well, I enjoyed this. Get my, my co-host giving them a chance to ask burning questions. We might make this a regular thing. I don't know. But you have to earn it. All right, Gary. All right, Jack. This, this has been Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here with burning questions from Chuck and Gary. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.